I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Diversion Audio A note. This episode contains descriptions of violence that may be disturbing for some audiences. Please take care in listening. This series is based on historical characters and real events. Some dialogue has been imagined for dramatic purposes when no primary source material is available. The guy standing at the front desk claiming to be a spy looked like a teenager. His hair was disheveled. His trench coat was wrinkled and stained. He couldn't look the secretary in the eye, but whenever she got a glimpse, she noted how young he seemed to be. Still, he persisted. You don't understand. This is a matter of national security. I need to speak to the ambassador. I have to know your name and affiliation before I can set up a meet. More people will die if you sit on this any longer. Now, do you want to help the Germans or do you want to sit on your ass and read headlines about what you let happen? The secretary couldn't help but be shaken by the kid's intensity. She had signed up for the job at the embassy in Paris to do paperwork and schedule meetings. And now she was getting harassed by foreigners. Just... Ugh. Hold on a moment. Who is it you need? I told you! The ambassador! Well... One moment. The boy's paranoia and anger grew as the secretary disappeared into a back office. He gazed around the embassy. Pressed suits, nice furniture. Rage built inside of him as he looked at the details of this other world. What infuriated him the most was that it wasn't even considered luxury or excess. This was considered normal, and he'd never been part of a normal world. You may go in. His stomach growled as he pushed forward. He hadn't eaten all day, and it was getting harder and harder to focus. Bids delivered to Rolf Eichhorn. It's 90. 
Yes. Then reality began to set in. He was now standing in the office of a German official. I, uh, you... What are you doing screaming at my secretary? They are busy here. What do you want? Uh, I, I have an important document for, for the Nazis. So I strike all the men with a lot of patience. If you have something, give it to me. And then get out of here. You filthy bosh! In the name of the 12,000 Jews, here's what I have for you! This is a special episode of Good Assassins. Back in episode one of this season, you remember I talked about Kristallnacht, the violent uprising against German Jews in November 1938 that historians regard as the opening to the eventual genocide of six million European Jews, and then millions of others during World War II. Today, we're delving into the story of a young man who is somewhat lost to history, but his story is right at the dead center of the Holocaust. This young man became an assassin, and the assassination he committed on November 7, 1938 in Paris is the spark that set off the inferno that was the Nazi Holocaust. This man's name was Herschel Grinspan, and in 1938, He was just 17 years old. I'm Stephen Talty, and from Diversion, this is Good Assassins Season 2. Episode 10, The Boy Who Shot the Nazi. Life was never easy for the Grinspan family. Parents Zindel and Rivka arrived in Hanover in northern Germany in 1911 from their native Poland, hoping, like many, to make a better life for themselves. Like many Jews who lived in the Pale of Settlement, the Grinspan family escaped the pogroms there to go to what they thought was, and indeed was, a more civilized place at the time in the early 20th century, to Germany. That's Joseph Matthews, the author of an historical novel about Herschel Grinspan called Everyone Has Their Reasons, who spent a decade researching Grinspan's life. So the Grinspan family arrived in Hanover. They were considered not just second-class citizens because they were Jews, but third-class citizens because they were Eastern Jews, not German Jews. They were Polish Jews, fairly observant, and they immediately faced the hostility of Western Europe. Jews from the East spoke Yiddish and often faced difficulty assimilating into German culture. Still, Zindel and Rivka made a family. Of the six children they had, only three of them managed to survive childhood. Esther, Mordecai, and their youngest, born in 1921, Herschel. From an early age, Herschel was different from the rest of his family. He was passionate, emotional, artistic, and seemed to have a deep respect for his orthodox religious beliefs. 
but these were treated as quirks, especially by anti-Semites, and Herschel wasn't one to step down from a fight. He reacted to insults with his fists, and he was apparently prone to schoolyard tussles and sometimes violent outbursts, much to the chagrin of his parents. Frau Grinspan, he has given Herschel multiple opportunities to better himself at school. And still, he seems to insist on solving all his problems with violence. I'm afraid we can do no more for him. Good luck to you. This, of course, was just one side of the story. Herschel was facing fervid anti-Semitism in school. At a certain point in Herschel's schooling, Jews were moved to separate painted yellow benches in the schoolrooms. Author Joseph Matthews again. They weren't asked any questions by the teachers. They weren't allowed to speak. School, you know, the other children began to violently beat Jewish kids. School became, you know, a place that was insufferable. And Herschel left at age 14. There was just no point in continuing. While Herschel dropped out of school at the age of 14, he wasn't unintelligent or unsocial. Herschel was a decent student, nothing special, very bright young guy. His parents sent him to Paris to live with his aunt and uncle and hopefully make a better life for himself. And the family understood that there was no future for Herschel in Germany. As you can imagine, it was a wrenching, horrible decision for the family to make because they probably knew very well they'd never see Herschel again. Herschel grew insular in Paris, living among Yiddish-speaking Polish Orthodox Jews and learning almost no French. He didn't return to school. He couldn't work legally, and instead opted for a life spent on the streets, where he mostly kept to himself, wandering Paris and sneaking into movie houses. He apparently tried repeatedly to apply for French citizenship, but was continually denied and became what the French called a clandestine, an illegal resident, and in danger of being expelled at any time. And because he had a Polish passport, he would be deported to Poland, where he knew no one and he didn't speak Polish. So he had to keep his head under the firing line, and his uncle and Herschel continued to try to get papers regularizing his stay so that he could live there legally and work. And every, at every step, they were turned down. He didn't have training. He didn't have money. He, you know, his aunt and uncle couldn't put up sufficient support for him. He did, however, remain religiously devout and proud of his Jewish heritage. But in 1938, discrimination against Jews was ramping up. The Nazis already in the mid-30s and into 1938 were coming up with all kinds of laws to exclude Jews from public and private life, to force Jews to leave Germany if they could, to create a Jew-free space in Germany in all different kinds of ways. A census taken in 1933 noted that over 57% of Jews living in Germany were Polish, a figure assumed to have grown by 1938. The Nazi party took the increasing number of Eastern European Jews and fanned the flames of anti-Semitism, 
erroneously claiming that they were being invaded by this new populace and culturally replaced. Thousands of Jews fled to surrounding countries. In response to the influx of Jews coming back to Poland, the Polish government passed a law in October 1938 requiring Polish citizens living outside the country to get an endorsement stamp on their passports by the end of the month or they'd have their citizenship revoked. It was an absurd declaration with an impossible deadline, and it left nearly 70,000 Polish Jews in Germany without citizenship. They became a people with no country, no rights, and almost no prospects. So now people like the Greenspan family were caught in this no-man's land, which said, well, the Germans are going to expel you, but the Poles refuse to accept you. What's going to happen? And what happened in late October of 1938, Polish passport-holding Jews in Germany, including all of Herschel's family, were rounded up in the middle of the night, put on boxcars, and shipped to the Polish border, where they were dumped unceremoniously onto the border. On October 27th, Nazis invaded the homes and businesses of thousands of these Jews from the East, stripped them of their possessions, homes and money, and forced some 12,000 aboard trains headed to Poland. When the deportees arrived in Poland, some were allowed back into their country, but the vast majority were rejected at the border for not having the passport stamp that protected their native citizenship. These Polish Jews without a country were relegated to homeless camps along the border, where poor conditions, cold weather, and a lack of food dwindled their numbers. And among the Jews that were deported to this no-man's land, the family of Herschel Grinchpan. More than 20 years later, at the trial of Adolf Eichmann in 1961, Herschel's father, Zindel Grinchpan, described the Polish Jews' forced deportation by the Nazis. The SS men used whips to hurry us across fields to the Polish frontier line. Those who faltered were struck. Blood spurted. Bundles were grabbed from people's hands. Herschel received a postcard from his sister on November 3rd and learned of his family's fate. She begged him to help. So he wanted to help his family and he wanted to send money and he had a big argument with his uncle who said uh, don't send money because the German will pocket it. And of course he was right. That's Armin Führer, a journalist and historian who published a biography of Grinspan in Germany in 2013. But Herschel wanted urgently to do something, you know? So he wanted to set an example against the Nazis. Grinspan was outraged at how Germany and Poland were treating Jews, and he was desperate. He decided he'd take justice into his own hands. 
We'll hear how this goes horribly wrong after the break. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Hi, this is Stephen Talty, host of Good Assassins. The folks that helped me bring you this show have just launched another podcast that we think you'll like. It's called War Queens. Every episode of War Queens tells the story of a fearless, powerful female leader from history. From Elizabeth Tudor and Golda Meir's high-stakes wartime gambles to Angola's Queen Najinga's willingness to shed and occasionally drink blood to defend her kingdom, to Indira Gandhi's war to solve a refugee crisis, and so many more. These are super engrossing stories, told by expert historians in a way that's accessible and interesting. It's great listening. Every episode of War Queens brings you the stories of extraordinary leaders, all of them legends. War Queens is out now. Follow the show on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever you listen to podcasts. After hearing about the deportation of his family from Germany, Herschel Grinspan became hyper-focused on revenge. Assassination, he believed, would be the only appropriate method of enacting justice. The question then became, who would be the target? There were some obvious choices. Adolf Hitler would have been the optimal selection, but he was too powerful and locked behind the Nazi party's high gates in Germany. Then there was Joseph Goebbels, the chief propagandist for the Nazis, who sat at Hitler's right hand. But he imagined Goebbels was also fiercely protected and a country away. Herschel needed a closer target there in Paris. He settled on Johannes von Velcek, 
the German ambassador to France. He would be accessible in his Paris office, and his death would be consequential enough to attract the attention to the plight of the Jews that Herschel desired. Felchek was everything Herschel needed in a target, a rich Nazi from an aristocratic family. The two couldn't have been more opposite. I'd like to buy a gun. On November 7, 1938, just over a week after his family had been deported from Hanover by the Nazis, Herschel Grinspan purchased a revolver from a Paris gun shop and took the train to the embassy. On the ride over, he wrote a postcard saying goodbye to his parents, assuming that after the assassination, he'd be quickly executed by the Nazis. With God's help, my dear parents, I could not do otherwise. May God forgive me. The heart bleeds when I hear of your tragedy and that of the 12,000 Jews. I must protest so that the whole world hears my protest, and that I will do. Forgive me. He was never able to send it, as he placed it in his pocket right before entering the embassy. Upon entering, Grinspan realized a major problem. He had no idea what Johannes von Velchik looked like. Flustered, he approached the secretary's desk and mumbled that he needed to see the ambassador immediately. He claimed to be a spy with intel that would help the Germans. But when pressed, he couldn't offer any details. To what does the information pertain? I cannot say. Who is in danger? I just need to speak to the ambassador. (sighs) Eventually, the secretary buckled to his demands. But Velchek had already left the office that morning for his daily walk. She instead passed Grinspan off to a junior officer, Ernst von Rott, an ex-paramilitary soldier in the Nazi army who now worked at the embassy. It's believed that Grinspan did not know who he was assassinating. You filthy bosh! In the name of the 12,000 Jews, here's what I have for you! Grinspan didn't put up a fight after the shooting. He was taken into custody by the French police and spent two years in prison while his trial was subject to review. But while the cogs of the court system turned slowly for Grinspan, the Nazis quickly leapt at this new opportunity to incite violence against the Jews. The German official Grinspan had shot died two days after the attack. Nazi propagandist Joseph Goebbels wasted no time fanning the flames of Roth's assassination. He made inflammatory speeches, leveraging Grinspan to, quote, demonstrate why every Jewish man, woman, and child in the world was a deadly enemy of the Third Reich, unquote, and called on German citizens to take back their country against what he referred to as the Jewish problem. When news of Roth's murder reached Germany, the Nazis revolted violently against Jews residing in the country. Hours after Roth's death, 
They formed a pogrom that grew in size and power and swept through German streets and obliterated Jewish homes and businesses with arson and gunfire. It was an unstoppable bloodbath and the first major defining outburst of mass violence against the Jews in the period. From November 9th to November 10th, Kristallnacht left bodies strewn in the streets. Nearly 30,000 Jewish men were ripped from their families and deported to concentration camps. Almost 100 were violently murdered, some in their synagogues. German police and firefighters were ordered not to engage in any rescue attempts. The Jewish parts of the country were meant to be burned to ash. They took everything out they could. They start making fires in the synagogues. And the next day, they came and they took all the community, uh, well-known people. They had a clean up. They would put signs around them, Jew, and would put an, on all the store signs on that nobody was a Juden, Yiddish uh, chef, that nobody should come in and buy anything or do any business with Jews. That's Herman Kempinski, a Holocaust survivor and former president of the Society of the Survivors of the Riga Ghetto, a predominantly German-Jewish group reflecting on his own experience of Kristallnacht. Kempinski empathizes with Grinspan. After experiencing severe anti-Semitism throughout his own childhood, he was also outraged. His parents have been deported from Hanover, I believe. Yes, like you. Like me. And I could understand if I would have lived in Paris, maybe I would have shot the whole embassy, even at the age of 10 years. But uh, I was too young, and I think uh, I didn't have the, the courage or the, the proper thing. The Nazis had succeeded in turning the country completely against the Jewish people, and they had used Herschel Grinspan to do it. Americans are and should be indignant at the terrible outbreak of Jewish persecution in Germany and the drive against Christian faiths as well. It represents an outbreak of brutal intolerance which has no parallel in modern history except possibly the destruction of religious worship in Russia by the Bolsheviks. While American leaders condemned the violence at the hands of the Nazis, they feared major engagement. The United States immigration laws at the time strictly barred masses of German and Polish Jews from coming into the country. It seemed as though all American leaders were willing to offer was sympathy. <laughs> Meanwhile, Grinspan was held in French custody for more than a year, but was eventually turned over to the Nazis directly in 1940. While he waited behind bars, he tried to get a read on what the Nazis planned to do in his trial. Joseph Goebbels was hoping to use the teenager as a perpetual symbol for his, quote, Jewish problem. A high-profile trial could result in dozens of Kristallnachs, and that seemed to be exactly what Hitler wanted. The trial was supposed to start exactly at the time when the first German extermination camps in, in Poland were um, uh, being built. So the trial was intended to justify this extermination of millions of Jews. It's, so it was very important for the Nazis and for the Nazi propaganda for Josef Goebbels. Armin Führer again, the German journalist and historian. Yeah, but Herschel was a really tough and smart guy. 
I mean, he was 18, 19 years old, but he was a really smart guy. He recognized this plan and he destroyed it with a trick. Grinchman claimed that Ernst von Rott was secretly a gay man and the murder was the result of a lover's quarrel. Well, when this news got back to Goebbels and to Hitler, they blew a fuse. That's Joseph Matthews again, the author. Even if they could show that this wasn't true factually, just having it raised in an international trial that this guy, von Rath, whom they had turned into a hero of Germany, was gay and had a, a gay relationship with a minor who was a Jew, well, you know, <laughs> this was incredible. And Herschel actually brought the entire German propaganda machine to a screeching halt. Following Grinspan's claim in prison, the Nazis, not wanting their martyr labeled as a homosexual, the Nazis abhorred homosexuality and violently persecuted gay people, ultimately decided against a trial. Grinspan was shipped off to a concentration camp where he was summarily executed. At least that's what most people believed for more than 70 years. But in 2016, Armin Führer, the German journalist we spoke to, made an amazing discovery. I'll tell you about it after the break. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? You got rain gear, but you can't overlook sunny day gear. A Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days. Like literally. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to? Especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad spectrum UV protection. We're talking UPF 50. And it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. Columbia PFG has you covered with their Castback TC shoe. Its OmniMax cushioning and traction system helps if you're on your feet a lot, say, fighting a fish. Not to mention keeping you sure-footed on a wet rocking boat. 
So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear. Ultimately, there are many things we don't know about Herschel Grinspawn. No one can say for certain if the claims about Von Rott and some kind of relationship prior to the assassination were based in fact, or if this was just a fabrication invented to protect the teenager in court. While most historians believe that Grinspawn wasn't gay, some reports at the time of Von Rott's death do seem to allude to his sexual orientation prior to when Grinspawn made his defense, but these have been hard to authenticate. Intriguingly, there's a long-standing mystery as to what happened to Grinspan once he was sent off to the camps. For decades, most believed he was another victim, one among the six million murdered by the Nazis. But there were always rumors in the 50s, 60s uh, that he survived and lived near Paris or lived in, in Hamburg, but there was never any proof of it. Throughout the post-war years, eyewitnesses continued to make claims of Herschel Grinspan's sightings in France, in Israel, even in Germany. None of these claims were ever substantiated, and eventually, in 1960, Grinchman was declared legally dead. Popular consensus settled on his likely execution in 1942 at the hands of the SS, the last official confirmation of his existence. Until almost 70 years later. In May 2016, I was invited to give a lecture on Herschel in Vienna. Again, Armin Führer. And after this lecture, a woman approached me. Um, her name was Christa Prokisch. And she was the director of the archive of the Jewish Museum in Vienna. And um, she was very interested in this Herschel story. And she had read many books, I think, more than me. But she thought that they were all bad because most of them didn't work with documents, which is uh, true, and they copied from each other. So she said the first book that convinced her was my book because I used thousands of documents and I found, for example, in, in Munich, I found 4,000 pages of new documents that were completely unknown until then. And so she asked me, um, ah, what do you, uh, can, can you come uh, tomorrow to my office? And I said, okay. And I went there the next day and she showed me a photo without any comments. I immediately explained, oh, oh my God, this is Herschel. <laughs> this is Herschel Grünspan. And she said, yes, I think too. So this photograph Armin Führer finds in 2016 is taken after the war. And it seems to show Grinspan demonstrating with other Holocaust survivors against being barred from emigrating to Palestine, which would fit what we know of Grinspan. The photo, taken in 1946 when he would have been 24, has been the subject of debate among historians, with some claiming the similarities between the man in the photo and Grinspan are too great to ignore, and some seeing only a passing resemblance. Fuhrer, though, is completely convinced. I really, I, I don't have any doubts, actually. Führer says the photograph confirms something that took place during a trial in 1960, when Vamrat's family sued a journalist who had accused the diplomat of being gay. During the trial, a witness claimed that Herschel was alive, 
1960, 1961, and that he could also appear in the courtroom. He also said he saw a photograph of Herschel and he described the exact photograph found in the photographer's collection. At the time of the photo's discovery, The Guardian wrote, a face recognition test on the photograph taken on July 3, 1946 in a camp for displaced persons in Bamberg, southern Germany, returned a 95% likelihood, considered the highest possible match. But that being said, Joseph Matthews, who has also researched the subject extensively, doesn't put stock in the photo. I don't make much of it. The idea that Herschel survived the war and never got in touch with his family seems utterly absurd given what we know of how much Herschel was dedicated to his family. And secondly, there was no evidence after about 1943, two or 43, of Herschel's continued existence. So we don't have any records. And remember, the Nazis were meticulous record keepers that he survived. The picture was taken in a relocation camp in southern Germany, which is a place he was never imprisoned anywhere near there. So the idea that he somehow was relocated there doesn't make any sense. And finally, this matching of the photographs, all they had were newspaper photos from when he was 16 years old, 17 years old, to compare with a grainy photograph of a guy in a relocation camp. This is not like comparing high-resolution photography where facial recognition has a much higher degree of accuracy. So, you know, for so many reasons, it's just... And, and the story quickly faded. None of the histo serious historians of Herschel's story um, took it seriously. When we spoke with Armin Fuhrer, we explained Matthew's point of view. Fuhrer, though, remained steadfast in his belief that the photo was indeed of Herschel Grinspan. He feared that, um, that uh, maybe some angry Jews would kill him because some of them, or many of them, thought that he was responsible for the Holocaust. Well, of course, nonsense, but um, many, many Jews people said so. In other words, Grinspan might have stayed away because he didn't want to endanger his family. Or perhaps he did make contact with his family, and they kept it secret in order to protect him. In any case, Matthews and Fuhrer agree on one thing. To be absolutely 100% certain that Herschel survived the war, we need more evidence. I'm sure for, I don't know, 95%. If we do not find any other stuff which tell us that Herschel really, really survived, we can't say for 100%, you know. So whether Grinspan did indeed survive the war or perish in a concentration camp or somewhere else is still unknown. But more importantly, Herschel Grinspan's place in history will also continue to be a topic of debate. Some have unfairly placed the blame of the Holocaust squarely on his 17-year-old shoulders, while others believe his actions were justified and that he was a young freedom fighter of the highest degree. The Nazis were always planning an extermination of those they deemed undesirable, and Grinspan is one of many who stood up to the threat of the Third Reich. It's simple to make Grinspan a scapegoat for the evils of the Holocaust, a misguided way to compact a horrendous genocide into a neat, digestible timeline. 
as Hannah Arendt once wrote. Under conditions of tyranny, it is far easier to act than to think. But I like to think that this young man was instead a desperate hero, acting in the only way he knew how, fighting the enemy he saw so clearly in front of him and refusing to bend to the whims of racism, of fascism. Jonathan Kirsch is the author of The Short, Strange Life of Herschel Grinspan, a boy avenger, a Nazi diplomat, and a murder in Paris. Kirsch explained in an interview with the Los Angeles Review of Books that Herschel carried out the first act of armed Jewish resistance against Nazi Germany under remarkable circumstances that really entitle him to be regarded as a hero. And yet, he has really been written out of history, and his acts of heroism have been suppressed. Herschel Grinspan's story is a reminder of every individual's place in this world. One day, he was living on the fringes of Paris, a castaway from society with no nation to call home. And the next day, he was making headlines that changed the course of history. And then I also try to grapple with some of the larger issues, the most uncomfortable and awkward of which is uh, with so much emphasis placed on finding evidence of Jewish resistance, of answering the question, why did so many Jews seem to go so passively to their deaths? Why was this young man who didn't go passively, who was willing to fight back, why was he uh, overlooked in the history of resistance to the Holocaust? It's fascinating to think of the ripple effects of our actions, both big and small, and how quickly one life can be thrown into the limelight, where their humanity has suddenly taken on a new, enormous form. While we may never know what really happened to Herschel Grinspan, he etched his name into history. A 17-year-old assassin who took justice into his own hands and became the pawn of an international war machine. If you have questions for us about Good Assassins or any comment on the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at goodassassins at diversionaudio.com. Make sure you spell assassins correctly. Again, that's goodassassins at diversionaudio.com. We'll try to answer your questions on a future episode. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at diversionpods. Good Assassins is a production of Diversion Audio in association with iHeart Podcasts. This season is hosted by Stephen Talty and written by C.D. Carpenter. Produced and directed by Kevin Thompson for Real Jetpacks Productions. Story editing by Jacob Bronstein with editorial direction from Scott Waxman. Additional research and reporting by Sophie McNulty. Theme music by Tyler Cash. Featuring the voices of Michaela Izquierdo, Rafael Korkil, Lena Klingeman, Brandon McInnes, John Pierkus, Andrew Polk, Orla Cassidy, Mano Felciano, Sean Gormley, and Steve Routman. Sound design, mixing, and mastering by Paul Goodrich. Sound editing by Justin Kilpatrick. Executive producers, Jacob Bronstein, Mark Francis, and Scott Waxman for Diversion Audio.
Diversion Audio. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, The CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. 